Well, good evening, new life. I know I'm, I don't look like Pastor Troy, do I? All right? I have a full set of hair. God bless me. Something, I don't know. I'd say it's my genes, but my dad's bald, my brother's bald, and I don't know. I got blessed by Jesus. Thank you, God. Okay. Well, first off, Merry Christmas. You guys ready for Christmas coming up? Yeah. I was born in Missoula. Anyone ever heard of Missoula before? Yeah? As some of you guys, most of you guys have heard of it because of me, if we're honest, right? If, if it wasn't for me, you'd have no idea where Missoula was. Um, and since being uh, a couple, Trinity and I have lived in, in many different places before. Uh, we, you know, not a lot, but a few. We've lived in, in Kirkland. We've lived in Lathrop. We've lived in Manteca. Uh, many of you guys, I think, have lived in different places, right? Even uh, places that no one would be able to point to on a map. Is there anyone who's pretty confident that if you said you're from that place, no one in here would be able to point to that on a map? Anyone? Yeah, I feel that. I feel that. All right, Montana, that's where I was born and raised. Fourth biggest state in the nation. People probably couldn't even find it on a map, all right? Uh, we're just the same. We're about the same size as California. Just, you know, it's not like, uh, um, you know an ego match or anything, but, you know, we're, we're a bit more balanced, tall, and wide. You guys are just real skinny all the way up. I'm just saying, uh, it's, that's not even in the message. I'm just giving that you for free tonight, all right? But these sometimes obscure towns are probably not somewhere you would choose to visit or plan to, you know, vacation to see. And that kind of reminds me of somewhere in the Bible, and that is the town of Bethlehem. We all know Bethlehem because we've heard it in Christmas stories. We've read it in the Bible time and time again. Bethlehem is just part of our vocabulary, right, as Christians. Um, but if, if we didn't have the Bible before that, Bethlehem wouldn't, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. You know, all of, of all the cities uh, and towns and villages in Palestine, why, why did God choose such an unheard of place as Bethlehem? for the birth of his one and only son. You'd think you would go to like somewhere where you get the bang for your buck, right? If a, if a site selection committee had been appointed, the name of Bethlehem probably would have never made the list. You know, there's all kinds of important reasons to favor another occasion. Like, like the city, take the city of Hebron, for example. Um, it played an important role in the beginning of Hebrew history because Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, and later David were associated with the town of Hebron. So it's a big deal, right? Why didn't God choose Hebron? On the other hand, Jerusalem is an even more logical choice, right? I mean, 611 times the city is mentioned in the Old Testament, right? For centuries, from the day David captured it from the Jebusites to make it his city, Jerusalem was the center of religious and civil life in Israel. It was a big deal. It was, you know, the magnificent uh, Temple of Solomon was there. Uh, the royal palace was there too. You know, our, our site selection committee would be hard-pressed to find reasons to deny Jerusalem the privilege of welcoming the new king. But Jerusalem fails to make the cut. There was always Nazareth too, right? We've all heard of Nazareth. This was a logical favorite because it was the home of Mary and Joseph, right? It offered the most convenience for the story, right? How many of you guys have ever been pregnant or have a spouse that's been pregnant and you just, how many of you guys want to walk hundreds of miles to take a census, right? That's like on your bucket list. Anyone? Yeah, no one, no one. Bella. Okay, Bella's the only one. <laughs> right? L life 
If it, that challenge was chosen, life could go on for, as usual for Joseph and Mary and for Jesus, right? Surrounded by relatives, surrounded by good neighbors, no interruption in the daily flow of activity, right? It just, uh, it's a logical choice, the town of Nazareth. But it wasn't God's choice either. Why Bethlehem? By the ancient prophet's own words, Bethlehem in Micah 5 verse 2, it says this, Bethlehem. You are small among the clans of Judah, right? For whatever the reason, Bethlehem never rose to a position of prominence in its entire history. Two events do stand out in its history, though. It was here that Israel's great and ideal king, poet and hero, King David, was born and grew up. Before that, the story of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz from the book of Ruth took place there. For the most part, people came and went in Bethlehem with no sense of destiny for thousands of years before some shepherds came to seek a baby lying in a manger, or wise men from the east were led by a star and, and bowed to the new king. Why Bethlehem? Now, Bethlehem is a Hebrew word. Bethlehem literally means house of bread. When you first find that out, it can sound pretty insignificant in meaning, right? How many of you guys have ever looked up the meaning of your name before, and you've just kind of been sorely disappointed with your parents? Anyone? Right? Although, my parents named me Brian, and that means strong one, and it uh, didn't work out. But it was, good, it was a good thought, Mom and Dad. It was a great thought. Right? <clears throat> it can sound insignificant, right? Bethlehem meaning the house of bread. But I think that this is significant in three different ways. The first way, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread, to identify with real people, the ordinary man. Jesus was not born in the house of royalty, nor the house of riches, nor the house of celebrity. Jesus was not born in Jerusalem, or in Rome, or in Athens. You know, Jesus was not born into any political, commercial, cultural, educational, or socially significant city of the day. You know, when Micah, the Old Testament prophet, foretold the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, he emphasized its lack of significance to the world, right? Let's read it again. It says this, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, right? Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. So Bethlehem, the house of bread, right? Bread is like one of life's most common things, right? It's available to all. God wanted his son to be available to all. His, his birth was announced to the common man, but not to King Herod, right? His cradle was an animal's feeding trough in a lowly stable, not a crib in a royal newborn's room. You don't have to be rich to know him. You don't have to be well-known or popular to know him. Just be you. Jesus came not for the religious, for the ones who thought they were already all right, but for the ones who were aware of their needs. Second, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread, to satisfy our spiritual hunger. In John 6.35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. 
Jesus satisfies, he gratifies, and he strengthens us spiritually, just as bread does to us physically. But the truth is, many are eating at the wrong table. Now, I don't have it up here, mostly because I got this message this morning from Pastor Troy, and he said, Brian, I'm sick, you're preaching. I was like, cool, let me just skim through this thing so I look like I'm somewhat prepared. And uh, he, he's gonna, he was going to give an illustration that I know, if you've been a part of our church, you've probably seen it many times. It's called The Table on the Four Chairs. And it's a great illustration. I want to try to help illustrate it to you without the literal illustration. So use your imagination, all right? But I want you to imagine a table. Any old table will do, all right? Could be a fancy table, could be, you know, why don't you just think of your table at home? Sound good? What does your table look like? Maybe you have fancy, maybe it's all scratched and dinged up, but you put a really fancy cloth over it, and it looks fancy, but if anyone was to dig deep enough, they'd see the real you, right? So you have a table at home, and let's just say it's a four-sided table, as most tables are, and you have four chairs at that table. Each chair represents a different person in the church. And the first one is someone who doesn't believe in Jesus. And we believe that one of the people in this church, in, in the church of Jesus, that there should be people who don't believe in Jesus who come in the doors of the church to hear about Jesus. Amen? That should be a seat at the table. First, let me preface this. The table is the church. All right? The table comes in all shapes and sizes. Some look pretty. Some don't look pretty. Right? It's in the eye of the beholder. But overall, the table is insignificant because the table is all about serving the bread. And the bread is Jesus. So it doesn't matter what type of table you're at as long as the table is serving the bread. Right? There's churches for everyone out there. And as long as they're presenting Jesus, that's what's important, right? So the first chair at the table should be saved for the people who don't yet believe in Jesus. And then eventually the people from that chair move to the chair next to them. And that's people who are new believers, people who have just decided to start following Jesus. They're really, really excited. They're, they're giddy to, to get people inside of the church. They're, they have a passion for their new belief in their Lord and Savior, Jesus. And that's an exciting, exciting chair to be in. Amen? We need to move people from the non-believing chair to the new believing chair, amen? People should always be cycling through this. And then the third chair that you move from is you go to what we would call the, the seasoned believers, right? People who have been a believer for a long time. This does not equal age. There can be non-believers and new believers that are 90 years old. And I say praise Jesus for that. Amen? There can be people in the season chair that are 15 years old that have been going to church their whole life and who have been sold out to Jesus. But let me tell you, just because you've been going to church for a long time doesn't mean you're in the seasoned believer's chair. That is someone who has been through thick and thin and they've stayed with Jesus through it all. So we have the non-believer's chair, we have the new believer's chair, we have the experienced believer's chair, and the chair on this side is the leadership chair. This is the chair that, that makes the decisions for the church, that leads the way, that, you know, this is, this is the Pastor Troy of the church, right? We need a seat 
for our leaders, right? We need a seat for them. We need people to be moving around this table, right? So that we're always having non-believers come in. We're always taking those non-believers and turning them into believers. And those believers are getting discipled so that they eventually become seasoned believers. And those seasoned believers become leadership because they begin discipling other people in its multiplication, right? But, hear me out on this one. If you've heard this illustration before, you know what's coming, right? How many of you guys have ever had a little kid, right? When a little kid sits at the table, sometimes they're so little that they can't sit in the big chair, right? And so what do you have to have? You have to have the high chair. So you pull up this fifth chair next to the table. Where, where does that chair go? It goes next to the leadership. It goes next to mommy and daddy, the people in charge of what's going on. For this illustration, though, we're not going to call it a high chair. We're going to call it an eye chair because the people who sit in that chair is all about me, me, me. And the leadership is trying to spread their attention through all the other three chairs. They're trying to speak to those who don't believe and convince them to believe. They're trying to speak to the new believers and get them to remain committed and keep their energy and keep their passion. And they're talking to <coughs> the experienced Christian saying, would you go out and disciple? Would you go begin bringing new believers into the experienced believer's chair? But as they're trying to focus on this, all of a sudden, the person in the eye chair starts crying real loud. How many of you guys know it's not a small cry, right? That baby, it's hungry. That baby can't feed itself because it never grew up. I'm not trying to step on any toes. This is Pastor Troy's illustration, right? I am just the messenger, okay? So we have people in the eye chair. How many of you guys know we cannot have people in the eye chair at this church? It can't be all about you, 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 and what you want, and people feeding you. We, I have, I'm, I'm sorry if you said this before, and again, I'm not the lead pastor of the church, just the campus pastor of this location. So, uh, and the lead pastor, he's out sick. If he's watching, I'll deal with it later. But, but we, we can't have people in the eye chair. We gotta keep moving on. We can't be all about what you want. The church isn't about what you want. It's about serving the bread. And we cannot serve the bread effectively if you keep taking the attention of everyone else off of the table so that you can get fed. I'm tired of hearing the saying that I've heard thousands of times because I've been going to church my whole life. Is, I left that church because I'm not getting fed there. They are not responsible. The church is not responsible. The table is not responsible for feeding you. It's responsible for showing you the bread, for showing you Jesus. It's up to you to belly up to the table, take your fork, take your knife, take your spoon, and start eating what is given to you. Amen? And only then, when you can start being self-sufficient, because everyone is responsible for their own spiritual condition, when you be can become self-sufficient, then all of a sudden, the people at the, the table can start doing what they were intended to do, and more people will come into the kingdom of God because it is working how it's supposed to work. If you have a trouble with that illustration, Pastor Troy's email is troy at newlifeca.church. No, it's, it's, it's a great illustration. It, it's so easy to get caught up in, in searching for meaning in life from the wrong things because there's a lot of things that bring temporary happiness. 
but only Jesus satisfies the eternal dimension of the human spirit. Christ is what the soul of a man needs for complete spiritual satisfaction. The fact that Jesus was born in the house of bread gives us confidence that God does indeed want to choose us to be his children, no matter how insignificant we may seem to ourselves or to the world around us. The third and final thing, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread, to show us that each of us must choose him as savior for ourselves. You know, Pastor Trin, who was just up here, uh, she's my wife. She, she may disagree on my assessment of myself here, but I think I have a fairly toxic trait, all right? Sometimes when I'm hungry and we're still a little ways away from a meal, I like to watch videos of people cooking food, right? I don't know if any of you guys are messed up like me, all right? In my heart, it helps because I can see the food and I can live vicariously through the people that are eating it in the show. I'm like, I can smell it, I can taste it, it is so good. One thing I know is this though, if one person eats a meal, it doesn't satisfy any other person's hunger. The Bible says in the second part of 1 Corinthians 10, 17, it says, we are all partakers of that one bread. That one bread is Jesus. He is the only bread that offers life. And the decision to receive him is an individual one. And he invites each of us to partake of his presence today. You know, Bethlehem, it's the house of bread. And Jesus was born in Bethlehem to identify with real people, to satisfy our spiritual hunger, and to show us that we each must choose him as our personal Lord and Savior. And so before we invite the kids to come up here and do a wonderful presentation, I just want to ask you this. Can everyone just close your eyes, bow your heads, just no one looking around. I know it's kind of a cliche thing to say at church, but it's just, it's a personal decision. I just want to ask you this. Do you know Jesus? Because he came to the world to get to know you, and he has been chasing you your entire life. So I just want to ask this. No one looking around. If you feel like tonight is the night that you want to follow Jesus with your life, you want to give up your ways for his higher ways. You want to give up your thoughts for his higher thoughts. And you want to give up your wisdom for his higher wisdom. If you want to make him the Lord of your life and submit to him tonight, I just ask that you would raise your hand right now. Not even counting to three, just right now. Boldly raise that hand and declare to God and to Jesus, I believe in you and I give my life to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, Jesus, we thank you. And I know Everett and, and Mark, you are watching for hands in Modesto. We just praise God for those who have been saved into the kingdom tonight. Let's pray. God, we thank you for speaking to us. We ask that uh, those who were birthed into the kingdom, God, they would belly up to the table. They would start eating of the bread, and that's you. That they would never be satisfied, but they would come to you over and over and over again. God, help us to work as a church to keep people moving through the chairs. God, help us to know uh, when we're being stale and when we've been at a chair for too long and we need to push through and find your calling. And we thank you that you've called us. We thank you that you care enough about us to feed us, to be what we need. And that no matter how far gone we feel we are, you are always there to forgive us and give us second and thirds and millionth chances. We thank you that you are our God. And we give it all to you. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Amen.
Well, I would like to invite up my beautiful wife, Pastor Trinup, here, and she has a wonderful kids and youth program in store for you guys. Oh, and yes, for you guys joining us in Modesto and online, you guys are dismissed. Thank you guys for joining us tonight, and we will see you guys again soon.